You are about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Become a patron today at patreon.com forward slash into the portal. As the earliest travelers of ancient Europe crossed through the dense woodlands of what is now the German Rhineland, they encountered certain dangerous creatures that would shape their very lives. Animals, entities from somewhere else. Their presence struck a depth of fear into their hearts unlike any other beasts lurking in the forest shadows. What exactly these beasts truly were has been laid out in various legendary tales and supposed true-life encounters describing bipedal, human-dog-like enigmas we know as werewolves. For centuries, horrific stories of these creatures stalking humans and livestock alike have been shared, the legends growing and changing as the years passed, and the thought of werewolves as real creatures would fade for many, but never for some. Deep in the heart of the Rhineland, there appear to be confirmations of strange legend that reaches back into the 1800s, in which the last werewolf was said to be killed in the area of Wittlich, Germany. Even more bizarre, reports from military personnel stationed in the area during the Cold War are prompting some to ask the question, do werewolves truly exist? Join us as we delve into legends of monstrous wolf-like entities on the battlefields of the First World War and tales of werewolves stalking military bases across central Germany. Welcome to Season 2 of Into the Portal, kicking things off with Monstrous Military Encounters, Part 1. Hello, I'm Amber A. And I'm Andrew McKay. And welcome to season two of Into the Portal. Your gateway to the bazaar. So yeah, welcome back everyone. Season two. Woohoo! What's popping? What's happening? This is like, <laughs> I needed this desperately. I've been waiting for this. It's been, what, a month and a half, roughly yeah. speaking. The break was nice. We needed a break. But then it was like creeping up to this release date for episode one of season two and it was like oh my god i i we need to get back on the mic so this feels really yeah. good so it's nice to be back here with you guys it's like riding a bike right yeah yeah maybe we had we had we took a hot sec to get <laughs> the uh, some of the recording equipment set up this morning and we're like wait a second how do we do this again where goes what again i don't know where goes what <laughs> but yeah no you guys we are really excited to be here for season two and we're kicking things off with something we know you're all going to love. This was a pretty highly requested topic over the last three years, which just to remind everyone, season one was actually three years long. <laughs> so we'll, we may or may not do that for season two. <laughs> but <laughs> Probably definitely <laughs> probably not. Probably definitely not. But yeah, like I said, a topic that a lot of people asked for, like I'm over 10 people probably in the Facebook forum, Twitter, mm-hmm. and different things like that. It's a topic that people are really, really interested in. So I don't know. Do you want to give, give the title here? Just... 
<laughs> well, we're getting into some extra crazy for y'all. We're talking about military encounters with monsters. Monsters. <laughs> yes, indeed. So it is going to be a multi-parter. Yes. And we are kicking things off with, uh, well, we're sticking to the land today, hey, Andrew? We are sticking. Yeah, that's a good way to phrase it because, of course, when people think of this, it's like there's sea monster accounts from ancient, you know, ancient wartime sightings and stuff and all the way up to things like rock apes in Vietnam, which mm. was like a lot of people were hitting us with that. We're like, yeah. I was going to cover that and we might just stay tuned but today we are also covering a land-based monster we're kicking things off with something that in a lot of ways these these creatures or the legends of this particular monster is seen as pure folklore pure fabrication to a lot of people however there are some of these stories that have these grains of truth in them as always what we're trying to find here on into the portal just enough to freak you out just enough to make you pull the the sheets up (laughs) over your head at nighttime in your bed so in this part one of our military encounters with monsters series we are going to search for some beasts you might not expect to be encountered by military personnel werewolves Mm -hmm. or at least werewolf-like entities which i was pretty surprised about i hadn't looked into this before when we started researching for this episode and i was like huh i know i was honestly thinking we were gonna go more alien with this first part but i think we'll save that too like you know that's more like the conspiracy like going down a huge deep rabbit hole but yeah this is fun because werewolves i wasn't expecting to find as much material as we did yeah and so it is very rich and like andrew said a lot of these tales are thought of as just like you know pure hairy fairy whatever but there are some that we've encountered now that seem to speak to a little bit more as far as like having some substance absolutely they have a little bit more legitimacy to them and like and you know you guys will be familiar with the the essence of some of these stories because we've covered canine humanoid enigmas and dogmen on past episodes we did it that was Mm -hmm. our biggest series ever on the show but this one does take a turn because despite how insane it might seem these entities are showing up specifically at military personnel bases from u.s military personnel to uh, british and other other groups as well that are seeing these things Mm -hmm. absolutely bizarre so we're kicking things off though with a u.s military base so let's take us there amber okay so we're going to the cold war we're actually going to germany for this one so it's the han air base and we're calling this the Morbach monster. Yes. And originally we sourced this, well, obviously you can find a wealth of different articles and things on the internet about this, but our original source was from a Pittsburgh University compilation that was put together by Dr. D.L. Ashleman, who was a retired professor of folklore studies at the university. Right, right. So this was very interesting. It's very extensive, very university-based. It's like pure just HTML page. Yeah, it was totally <laughs> like that. To no pictures, no whatever. <laughs> no dressing, so to speak. No makeup on it. Sure, yeah. <laughs> but I kind of like those sites because it's not like they're trying to give you a big flashy show. Yes. They're just about compiling the information and sharing it with everyone in the world. So basically, this particular case was sightings of the military. So like the Andrew said, like the U.S. military personnel that were based there. Yes. Of a monstrous, in most cases, bipedal or able to walk on two feet of a monstrous wolf-like creature that was stalking the area around the base. Yes. So he had a couple, Dr. Ashleman, Ashleman, <laughs> I, I want to say Ashley or something or Ashman. I know that's like, the, <laughs> they just like chucked the I in there just to, just to make, just to make it hard. <laughs> Anyways, he had a couple of uh, email sources that were quite interesting. And these provide what I would call perhaps like the modern bases. They were both anonymous and they were both from the military. So they claim. So that right. again, maybe speaks to why they remained anonymous. <clears throat> 
this first email, I'm just going to read them out just so we can all get a taste of what these people had to say because they're not actually very long. That sounds good. Let's do it. Okay. So this first email was dated to October 6th, 1997. And it was sent to this Dr. Ashleman from a respondent, like I said, that wants to remain anonymous. Mm -hmm. He starts his letter by saying, have you ever heard of the Morbach monster? I first learned of the legend while I was stationed at Hahn Air Force Base, Germany. Morbach was a munition site just outside the village of Whitlick. Supposedly, Whitlick is the last town where a werewolf was killed. There is a shrine just outside of town where a candle always burns. Legend has it that if the candle ever goes out, the werewolf will return. One night, a group of security officers were on the way to their post at Morbach when they passed the little house of saints dedicated to Mary, Mother of God. But one thing was different that evening. It seemed meaningless. The candle in St. Mary's place, which was always lit, did not burn. When they noticed that the candle was out at the shrine, they all joked about the monster. (laughs) There's a quote we found here from a German translated blog, and it references this case and states that when Mary's candle goes out, Tremendous things happen in the forest. Ooh, <laughs> ominous. Yeah. Okay, so the story goes on. So this is, again, his words from this uh, anonymous source. <clears throat> he goes on to say, Later that night, alarms were received from the fence line sensor. When the security policemen investigated the call, one of them saw a huge dog-like animal stand up on its back legs, look at him, and jump over the seven-and-a-half-foot chain-link fence. A military working dog was brought to the area where the creature was last seen, and the dog went nuts, not wanting anything to do with tracking the creature. This occurred in 1988. There have always been, quote, ghost stories dreamed up by bored security policemen, but this is one I've heard over and over again. I thought it, you might find it interesting. And then he ends his letter with that. How could you not find that interesting? So, yeah, what do you make of that one? Hey? Well, that's... I, I want to say the one thing that stood out to me right off the bat was the uh, the part of this here where they say they brought in a like a tracking dog, a military dog, and that it went nuts. How many times mm. has that come up in stories we've covered with cryptozoological creatures or monsters and stuff where they bring in the tracking dogs and they don't want to have anything to do with it? The one that comes to mind immediately is the Boggy Creek monster. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. And there, there's others as well. I mean, I'm trying to remember if it was even, I think I might be misremembering, but even Flatwood potentially flatwoods monsters something along those lines where there was like there's been other cases we've Mm -hmm. covered where yeah the dog the dogs didn't want to touch it so that's that's very curious for indeed i will say this though um regarding the candle so i've seen Uh, references that say that candle is lit on nights with full moons and then this (laughs) reference here seems to make it sound as if it's always burning which doesn't really seem very uh practical No, No, the full moon thing makes sense. There's actually a point I have, I think, a little further down. We can come back to it. But also, obviously, within this story and the idea of Mary's candle and it being this shrine that will keep evil at bay, sort of, is the idea. Yeah. Obviously, directly ties in this creature with with Christianity and sort of a more modern lens of it, looking at it as like a demonic entity, potentially. Or that werewolves were associated with that, or these types of entities are associated with that. Mm -hmm. So we can come back to that because that's, that's curious to me because it's almost like 
people's way of trying to deal with these types of things mm. with the only means they have potentially which is like we need to light saint mary's candle to keep the evil away exactly. even if it might not work all mm-hmm. the time so a quick recap on the morbach monster here we have these 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 soldiers returning to their station alarm sounds at the munition fence or the near the munitions fence and they have no idea what it is so they kind of cautiously go to the place of the alarm and they run into this massive werewolf-like entity that was moving on its hind legs and jumps over a three meter high fence for all our canadian listeners out there to do the conversion there so <laughs> almost two meter tall animal disappears into the darkness and then just completes complete silence so that's mm-hmm. that's essentially the the, the quick recap. I mean... No carnage. No carnage. No carnage on this first story, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's continue on. Okay, because it doesn't end there. Dr. Ashleman actually had another email from a different correspondent who also wished to remain anonymous. This other one was dated... It was November 16th, 1998. So yes. about a year-ish in between these two. So basically, this second letter goes on to say this, quote... I was stationed at Hahn Air Base, Germany, from May 1986 to August 1989 as a security policeman. And it was my group that witnessed the Morbach werewolf. (laughs) Whoever told you the story about the monster that you put up on your website had very accurate information. The creature we saw was definitely an animal and definitely dog or wolf-like. It was about seven to eight feet tall, and it jumped a 12-foot security fence after taking three long leaping strides. Hmm. Hmm. So he uh, kind of makes that uh, security fence a lot taller. Well, (laughs) who knows? from seven to 12 feet. There potentially could be different sections of the fencing, too, where it's like almost like an entrance point. Maybe it's a little bit higher at one spot and lower at a different item. Or or it could be on a hill. And if you're on the Uh, hill, like on the downward slope of the hill and then jumping over it, then anyways. So the actual length of the fence might be the same, but the elevation could be different. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, that's that's a nice little corroboration for this. You know, Mm -hmm. I want to talk a little bit more about this exact location because I feel like probably some of you listening and a lot of people, you know, when you search this online and stuff, there's a lot of hardcore skeptics, obviously. And we started off the top by saying that this is one of those types of definitely werewolves in general are one of those types of entities that get lumped into a little bit more of a woo woo category, potentially, Mm -hmm. as opposed to say maybe like sea monsters or something like that. But the point I want to make is that like the location where this takes place in Germany near Whitlick, Germany, is so rich with werewolf lore, legend lore. Mm-hmm. And these the sightings and encounters and, and the fear of these types of entities goes back so, so far. Um, it's it's crazy. And these events specifically at Han Air Force Base, you know, a location in southern southwestern Germany, you know, characterized by rolling hills, you know, farmland, lots of wooded areas, very much similar to the types of areas where it reminds me of like Peter Stubb, if that r- rings any bells for anyone. If you don't know, we're going to talk, I'm going to talk about it a little mm-hmm, bit later. One yeah. of the earliest werewolf cases, quote think, unquote, in Germany. You, did you mention him in the Dogman series? I might have loosely mentioned so. him in the Dogmen's. Deserves its own episode altogether. Yeah. But specifically, just so everyone knows, Han Air Force Base or Air Base was a frontline NATO facility that was in, placed in Germany, lasted over 40 years during the Cold War, built in 1951 by the French soldiers that were stationed there, uh, operational by 1952. And this was the home of the United States Air Force uh, 50th Fighter Wing. So in various different designations. But for most of those years, as a part of the, the U.S. Air Force uh, in, in Europe, the USA 
F-E. The you safe. The you safe. Hey, keeping everybody <laughs> safe, right? So yeah, it was one of you safe. You safe. It was one of several different bases in Germany um, until it was eventually disbanded. So the end of the, the formal ending of the Cold War. But the legends continued on. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people say that the locals in Germany don't know of this at all. Other people totally discount that. So that's another thing we can get into. It's interesting, too, because obviously with the uh, the formal end of the Cold War, if you want to call it that. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the end, of, <laughs> end of communism in the Soviet Union, I guess. Right. Um, yeah. So that was basically 30-ish years ago. So we've got, I think we've got a little bit of a generation gap now. Because it's yeah. interesting, even uh, this particular area, obviously, because this airbase was around for as long as it was, like four decades it had a really big impact on the people, the culture, yes. and the economics, right? And when it was disbanded, there was actually quite a bit of strife related to, uh, yeah, exactly that, the socioeconomic structure of that area. Yeah. So this is interesting. I actually pulled up this article that was um, talking about the effects and, and, and the despair and, and all that. And it was a bit of a depressive sort of state for people. And the mayor actually had this to say. It was, it was a man by the name of Wolfgang Schmidt. And he said, nobody can replace what we are losing. More than half of the people in the region depended on the base for their livelihood. The Americans were part of the Hunsruck just as we are. And that's just the region. Yes. They were already here when I was born. I grew up with American kids and worked at the base myself for six and a half years. For the younger generation, it seems inconceivable to imagine the place without them. Yeah, and, so. and that to me, like I'm really glad you added that in there mm-hmm. because a lot of the the skepticism about this story, uh, the the evidence or whatever, quote unquote, for people that are skeptics, they say, well, Germans in this area have never heard of this. They they don't they don't know about the Morbach monster. But then when you read something like this, it's like, well, how could they not? I mean, clearly this base was there for a long time. If this was a story that was even just told amongst U.S. military personnel to like quote unquote haze newbies is a phrase we've seen before. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'd think it would have been relayed or, or it would have been a folk a folklore tale throughout the community well clearly there was a communication because they knew right uh, about the candle they knew about the saint mary's what the significance was but that's again, what i'm saying right? I'm they, like, they joked about it like you know like yeah. everyone will do and that's where you kind of have this sort of i kind of like waffle back and forth over and back on that line between is this pure exactly what you said like hazing and just trying to like you know scare the newbies and all that kind of thing is it something that they heard whispers about from the locals and then dreamed up their own legends or are they really seeing something out there you know what i mean and and if that is the case how far would that trickle down through the lines into their families, into their households, into their children? Perhaps their children would even share, like, you know? So you have to imagine that either it was that was the case or it was the total opposite where no one talked about it. And if you experienced it, that's when You clam up and you don't talk about it. It's almost like the Mothman thing where it's like, it comes up every now and then, but for the most part, I would imagine a lot of people just scoff and be like, I don't know. Yeah. You know? No, I, I I get that. I mean, I I do. We do have a couple other accounts to kind of add on to this, so we're working up to that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and another thing that I wanted to mention as well, like that builds off of that little account from the mayor, is the remoteness of the airbase. You know, known for her- not ver- the greatest weather in this area. You know, it was. It was a place that was like would foster closeness amongst the community because everyone's kind of just right there. You know what I mean? You got to hunker mm-hmm. down every once in a while. And there's thousands of former Han airbase residents that are um, part of different like forums and stuff like that. You know, like oh, yeah. g- g- groups of GIs that talk to each other like even today. 
Um, so this was something that I noticed, like looking at comment sections on different forums and articles about the Morbach monster that I thought was really interesting because, you know, a lot of a lot of it's pretty confrontational and not useful and you can't actually corroborate whether anyone is who they say they are. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there was a lot of conversations I saw that were pretty you know, like, you know, not, not ridiculous internet conversations and people essentially saying, you know, like, oh, I was stationed at Han Air Base and I heard this story, but never experienced it myself. Or someone saying, you know, I was stationed at Han in 88. The story was complete fabrication just to haze newbies. And then Mm. there would be a response to that from someone with an eloquent response, you know, saying, well, that, you know, whatever, that's your opinion, but I knew people that saw it. Yeah. And you know, I was going to pull up a bunch of examples, but there's a lot and I'm not just going to be reading comments from blogs to you guys on this episode. You can look at it yourself. But I thought it was interesting because it's like a super tight knit community. Hmm. And it's just one of those weird things where it's like if it's such a tight knit community, it's a base that lasted for so long. Some articles say that Germans know nothing about it, yet it is so tight knit. And the mayor has a statement like that about how important the Americans were and they're friends and he worked there and all this stuff. I feel like someone's hiding something. I feel like someone's yeah. sweeping something under the rug a little bit with this. Or honestly, maybe not even that so much, like not so intentional, but maybe it's just, it is exactly that. It's based off of their differing experiences. Yeah. And it's the same thing like here in the Okanagan, right? There are people that adamantly believe in Okapogo because they've seen them. And then there are people that kind of just laugh and scoff and be like, oh yeah, well, maybe if I see them, I'll believe it. Kind right. of thing, you know? Yeah. Until then though. <laughs> Until then. Until. But that's not to say that this is purely like a Cold War phenomena, right? No. Because the history of the area and this story in particular uh, goes much, much further than that. Yes. And we're talking about, uh, yeah, like back to the antiquity, essentially. The Napoleonic Wars. Napoleonic Wars, yes. So exactly that. The the municipality we're talking about, Morbach in particular, it sits in um, this area known as the Rhineland, uh, oh my gosh, I'm not even going to say this, Palatinate state the rhineland palatinate 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 who knows sure who cares (laughs) get at me in the comments yeah (laughs) (laughs) but allegedly this was the last place a werewolf was killed in germany and going back to the candle and the whole saint mary's thing it's significant um, as it burns in remembrance to those times and also to keep this evil so to speak at right because like we've said the people believe that if this were to ever go out they would once again be afflicted by this terrible creature what terrible creature are we talking about there's actually an origin story and like andrew already gave away it does go back to the napoleonic uh, times yes so rich in history here and we're going to get into that legend but before we do let's have a quick promo break 2021 is a new year And for many, that means getting on track with their mental health. BetterHelp.com is making it easier than ever to connect with professional therapists online from the convenience of your phone or laptop. BetterHelp is safe and private, allowing you to get help on your own time and at your own pace. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist, receiving thoughtful and timely responses in return. BetterHelp has over 3,000 licensed therapists who are available worldwide through four communication modes, text, chat, phone, and video. This makes getting the help you need not only convenient, but also reliable and regular to get you on the right track for 2021. BetterHelp helps you find professionals who are specialized in areas that may not be available to you locally and can get you communicating with your therapist within 24 hours of signing up. 
Best of all, it's more affordable than most traditional options, and there is financial aid for those who qualify. We here at Into the Portal know what it's like to be at your best and at your worst, and we want you all to start living your best lives. Into the Portal listeners get 10% off your first month with discount code PORTAL, spelled P-O-R-T-A-L. So why not get started today and join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health? Go to betterhelp.com portal. Simply fill out a questionnaire and help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love. That's betterhelp.com slash portal. All right, and we're back. So before we dive back into that original Napoleonic Wars origin story, we'd just like to take a second to catch you all up on uh, a few things, like, you know, that have gone on over the, the a t- hiatus. A tiny bit of housekeeping. Just a tiny bit, yes. We've actually had some amazing new patrons join yep. our crew over on Patreon. Thank you so much, Megan, Caitlin, and Bruce. You guys are all absolutely super. So amazing. Thank you so, so much. So many kind words, too. Like, it's just. Oh, man. Like, yeah, we were written. Yeah. Yeah. Huge long messages with really encouraging things. So it was perfect timing for season two. Yeah, uh, it really was. And something else really cool happened. Hey, Andrew. Oh, my gosh. Okay, yeah. So this was something we were reached out to a while back and we kind of we kind of forgot about it for a little while, actually, (laughs) to be honest. But it's been released. So have you guys checked out? This is like me doing an ad read. <laughs> Have you guys checked out the new <laughs> Netflix documentary? Uh, so it's called The Crime uh, Crime Scene, The Vanishing at the Cecil Hotel. It's a documentary series that just got released on Netflix. Uh, it's currently in the top 10, and we are actually featured in it. We haven't actually got to the episode that we're featured in yet. We just no. watched the first one, but we've had people texting us and reaching out to us saying, oh my God, you guys are there. Um, <laughs> so we don't actually know how long the clip is. It's in episode two or three or something like that. But Into the Portal, we've got an audio clip uh, featured in this new documentary series series which is really cool i really am so curious about what they pulled me too like, i, I am too because we <laughs> talked with this guy a while back and he was asking us all these questions about elisa lamb and the cecil and mm-hmm. uh it's funny because we're not a true crime show that was one of the few true crime cases we had covered because it had potentially paranormal leanings if you yeah. want to go that way mm-hmm. uh, but anyway really excited about that so we encourage you guys to go check it out and uh shoot us a message when you when you listen and, and let us know what you think it's actually okay so i was kind of like wary about the whole thing because a lot of documentaries that come out aren't really the best in terms (laughs) of maybe the presentation or maybe the content itself yeah but this is actually has both so i was very happy i was very pleased to see um the quality and i'm i'm really intrigued i you know it's so funny we covered this so extensively and in our own research but there are so many rabbit holes with that case yeah. and i think one of the episodes is even called that down the rabbit hole yes but uh, yeah no it's it's really well done so you're not gonna be disappointed if you check it out absolutely mm-hmm. not okay are we ready to dive into this yeah. origin napoleonic story all right so like we said the events we've discussed thus far do originate during the cold war however there is a legend that goes back to the days of napoleon's army we're talking 1812 <laughs> I was gonna say 1912. <laughs> Wait a second. No. You look. You like looked up at the ceiling. You're like so convinced. You're like, uh, 2001. No. Uh. <laughs> oh, let me just think about that. But anyways, this was happening as uh, they were basically fleeing the advancing Russians after the defeat of their campaign. Mm-hmm. And the story goes that a faction of soldiers uh, eventually found themselves fleeing through this particular area of Germany in this uh, area of Whitlick, even though other accounts say Wenigrath. So I'm not 100%, but again, we're talking a 
age-old legend here. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So there was this man, a deserter, as he is described, named Thomas Johannes Baptist Schweizer. And it, so the story goes, he wasn't the nicest person. So I guess out of either necessity or perhaps they weren't too fond of German people in general, um, he actually stumbled upon a farm and a farmhouse that was occupied by a farmer and his wife. How many times can I say farm in that sentence? Farm, farm, farm. <laughs> so he decided he was just going to take them both out. Going to kill them, you know, maybe take some food or something. I'm not sure. But before he was able to kill the wife... He, she ended up cursing him with her last breath, turning him into a horrific wolf beast. So this beast, as it was known, savagely terrorized the villagers, um, prompting them to basically do the classic fire and pitchforks type thing and head out into the woods and track it down. It was eventually destroyed um probably by guns not by pitchforks but you know what i mean yeah <laughs> but this was when that shrine was set up so the villagers decided that this was necessary they lit a candle that they said burned on each night of the full moon hmm. mm. so there we go that's where the full moon part comes in right and the legend holds obviously that as the candle burns the werewolf will not return it's to keep it at bay. That's 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 a weird origin story with this yeah. guy uh, Thomas Schweitzer. Mm-hmm. It's I I've read a few different alternate versions. So like this one we just gave to you guys is essentially like he's a deserter. He's traveling through trying to get back wherever he's going. He's probably hungry or whatever and stumbles upon a farmhouse and has he's to. He's almost of, home too, right? Because yeah. the Rhineland is like right on the it's border. Close. Mm-hmm. So he has to do something not so nice to kind of keep himself going. Another version I read was that he actually. Um, mercy killed uh the wife who was like in distress and had to bludgeon her and it was why would she curse him then that well that that's in this version i don't think there's a curse i think it's that something to do with the area where it happened so i guess maybe the land was cursed and his the violent act in and of itself like drove him insane and then he eventually ended up as some sort of a creature. Oh, interesting. Um, but I mean, okay. I, again, this is, it's, it's, any, anyone can one. say whatever basically with this because there is no like yeah. actual written accounts or whatever. This is, it is, this, this is the part of these stories that is the legend, the folklore, the, yeah. the whatever, right? True. But it does give it that little rooted antiquity that we love so much here at Into That's the Portal. interesting. I was actually trying to find a version that perhaps spoke to the wolf strap. But that isn't yeah. a part of this particular legend, even though it is quite uh, common in German it, werewolf mythology. Yes. I mean, at least it's not written into this story. I feel like maybe if you believe, well, but let's talk about the wolf strap because then maybe we can tie it into our theories of, of, the, of the monster. And I also have other stories as well. But like, what is mm. the wolf strap? We should probably tell yeah. people. Yeah. So do you want to cover that or? Okay. So <laughs> fine. I can do it. Well, we can follow Kevin. Right? <laughs> yeah. So essentially it's pretty much what you would expect it to be by the name. It's, it's this type of strap or skin of a wolf. Uh, a device and, in some accounts too. Like, right. Hmm. Yeah. There's a few different alternate versions and it's known as a wolf strap, quite common uh, in German werewolf mythology. And it was a device that when strapped around oneself would allow one to run amok as a ravaging wolf-like mm-hmm. beast. It was this sort of magical item that could transform you. Oh, and another really weird part about this sort of mythology of it is the idea that uh, it could actually come from the body of a hanged man, so a, a condemned man, essentially. And it's also said that once you are in possession of the wolf strap, you can't get rid of it. It, like, follows you. Oh, it's like a magical item. And it, like, basically, you're, like, cursed by it. See, that? that's like the monkey's paw or something. Yeah, where totally. Where you, like, it's almost like... Totally. 
I wonder if there's like a positive angle to the wolf strap or like there'd be a reason that someone wants to touch it or use it or whatever. I never came across that. It was always just and this like, thing turns into a, into a werewolf. And it's impossible to destroy, supposedly. Ooh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Like a demonic book, you try to burn it. It, it, it can't be burned. Like <laughs> it just stays. In the same, right. Which again okay. goes back to the whole Christianization perhaps of Indeed. all of this. And it's true. Anyways. But. This is where I come back to the reference to one of the earliest werewolf quote-unquote werewolves in history and this is peter stup or stump or stub there's a few different spellings of this name no one knows exactly when he was born or where he was from but this was in the 1600s in germany and interestingly this idea of the wolf strap is connected with his case Hmm. uh sorry excuse me i meant to say 16th century so 1589 Ah. is the range end of the fifth end, end of the 1500s uh one of the most infamous cases this guy he was i mean if you don't believe in werewolves he was just a ruthless serial killer and psychopath essentially right he confessed to having practiced black magic as early as the age of 12 and he was essentially a devil worshiper he claimed that the devil had given him this magical belt belt. or girdle Mm. or wolf strap essentially is like the english like translation interesting uh, which would enable him to change into the likeness of a man beast or a werewolf Uh does this sound familiar to anybody so could such an item combined with potentially black magic spells or i mean ancient pagan ritual even with this area is rich in as well Hmm. have something to do with this there is also another slightly different device called the wolf's trap and it's a weird hook-like thing that was actually used uh, to, to kill wolves it was almost like a like a bear trap version for wolves and it was to get them to swallow it and it was like a way of, of killing them. But this actual item, this trap, it's like this jagged, almost looks like a ninja throwing star kind of thing. Okay. There's different versions. But this item strikingly resembles the Nazi symbol. And lots of people actually think that... The swastika? That, the, the swastika. Huh. Yeah. Think that it was actually incorporated into that sort of idea. I because it the swastika sh- is associated with Nazism when it's supposed to be a symbol of fertility. I know, right? <laughs> and, well, I mean, maybe it may, like this might be a, a diff- an easier correlation in the sense of like evil and weird things, that this this item, because it's like this knife meant for killing wolves. Mm. Uh, and then, of course, this ends up tying directly into World War II and the Nazis as well, because they had werewolves, not real ones. But they <laughs> did. I mean, obviously, we know that massively tied into occult you know, mm-hmm. um, like looking at thing, the paranormal and like alternative thoughts and lines of thinking that they used theosophy, to build. Theosophy. theosophy. We, we have to cover still. Exactly. Yeah. That they used to build up everything that the Nazi party was. Mm-hmm. And they actually ended up having this paramilitary unit that was literally like the reverse of Inglorious Bastards. It was oh. the German version of like that fictitious movie where it was like this specialized paramilitary group meant to terrorize allies, <laughs> special allied special units. And they were called the werewolves. They had symbology mm-hmm. on their on their uniforms that wolf was like the wolf bundling. trap. Well, that's so, so cool. Well, so it's not cool, but it's like that's crazy. So, so, and I had actually never read about that paramilitary group in in studying history, World War II history, and stuff like that. But I just thought that was interesting because okay, it's not real werewolves. We've been talking about real werewolves in this case, but obviously, what was it called? Like the wolf's 
<laughs> oh, okay, wait. So there was like the Luftwaffe, or no? How do you even say that? I, I wonder what the actual name was of it, like in Germany, because they had so Ooh. many badass like looking names. For oh their, yeah. Like, anyways, I, 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 didn't, I didn't. That. I didn't. I sound like I'm up. like hyping up Nazism, and I'm not. <laughs> no, we're just into World War Two because who who isn't? It's fascinating. It's 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 absolutely fascinating. But yeah. this just goes to show the like it, it epitomizes the roots of werewolfery in Germany mm. and the idea of the occult and really the the belief in it. It wasn't just tweaked a bit to be used yeah. for propaganda there was real real grains of truth in what they thought they were talking about real stuff that the or at least related to folklore and stuff that again right the um american people that military that were yes. stationed over there yeah. would just be getting the inklings of just yes the, just the tidbits okay um, well let's get back to ashleman and some well, of the actual werewolf stuff here yeah because like we've been saying all along these werewolf legends are are um plenty and they're very well known and this is interesting because Dr. Ashleman, in his documents, he's gone ahead and translated a source that he has by a man named Carl Barch. And so basically, he talks about how, um, yeah, like this, the wolf belt is the biggest part about all of these. Right. And according to this Carl character and his sources that were obviously German sources, uh, many people possess the power to transform themselves using these belts. And they would roam about the night attacking their enemies, uh, livestock, in some cases, even their loved ones. And so I, I did pull a couple of stories here. This first one comes from a master builder named Langfeld, and he was from a place named Rostock. Okay, okay. <laughs> so he, this is Bart's source. And he basically says here, um, quote, in... Fahrenholz, in the year 1682, a number of people were accused of being able to transform themselves into wolves and were put on trial. Sounds like witchcraft, but yeah. Yeah. anyways. Only 30 years ago, in the 1840s, numerous examples of this kind of magic were related in all children's rooms, although there have been no wolves in this particular area, Mecklenburg. Mecklenburg. Mecklenburg for more than 100 years. This proves how widespread these legends formerly must have been. Um, there was a guy in this area, I can't pronounce it, what was it, Mecklenburg? Mecklenburg. Mecklenburgish. Mecklenburg <laughs> I guess that's what they called him. But the guy named Bear that stated, so far as I remember, in my youth, I only heard of male werewolves, never females. However, in other regions, gender made no difference. Interesting. Yeah. And obviously, the the, the full moon and all that isn't isn't directly involved in this. It's no, the strap. It's, it's this. Strap. It's this yeah. item. It's this other black magic. And it's funny you said witchcraft. It's kind of similar to that. It is. Yeah. And and it it did sort of start to kind of like become like this around the same time. You know what I mean? As as witchcraft stuff totally there was one actual story that i didn't include in here but i thought it was kind of interesting because it does speak to the idea that obviously there was a lot of it's kind of like the same as witchcraft in the sense that like the villagers and the people around the supposed like accused start to almost like just get suspicious they have like say like a couple of weird deaths of like sheep or something in the area absolutely and then all that but there was one story i saw that was from the wife of of a man who supposedly had a wolf strap in his possession and ended up going after her and almost killed her. And then she ended up 
turning him in and <laughs> he ended up getting killed Damn. i know right you have to turn in your own husband anyways yeah. must have been a bad marriage but <laughs> yeah it could, yeah just say just say he has a wolf strap and right. that will kind of take care of it for you he attacked me <laughs> and that is sort of how things went i mean that was the whole thing with witchcraft it's like well you can't persecute spirits so we mm-hmm. have to start calling people witches yeah you know, it's sort of the same thing potentially with werewolves too or the devil or whatever right you know? exactly yeah anyways <laughs> that, that was kind of interesting it's like it's it was like you were saying the other day. It's like, man, back in the day, you couldn't be sarcastic at all. Oh, man. <laughs> you would just get killed. Well, <laughs> sh- I, yeah. Like, should I relay the, the Peter Stubb? I mean, execute. maybe it's a little graphic. Oh, but I mean, well, just as an example, like, yeah. I mean, Peter Stubb, I don't know. I won't go into all the gory details. But when he was on trial for being a werewolf and actually executed, they thought it would be the most practical to, I think it was to tear away parts of his flesh mm-hmm. really Hellraiser slowly. Method. Hellraiser style. <laughs> uh, and then decapitate him, and among other things. And like, that was just kind of the practical thing to do. And I made the comment to Amber yesterday, like, I don't think people had sarcasm back in the day. Like, I don't think that was a thing. No. Because you wouldn't be doing this. Like, <laughs> you'd just be like, somebody would be like, uh, guys, just, like, you know, a bullet and a hole would be fine. Like, I mean, I, I don't know. know like, right? it's, this seems excessive. It does make sense, though, if the, the idea is that you need to tear apart the evil. You need to make sure it's not in the same Ooh. form. No, that's, the that, is, that is the point. Like, yeah. what if it came back from the dead, right? A lot of people are very suspicious oh, about that type of thing. Absolutely, that's the point. Like, putting mm-hmm. rocks in the mouths of buried vampires, quote-unquote, and Ooh, stuff like that, I wonder like if that, they right? even chained his body to the ground. <laughs> Ooh. I think they might have drawn and quartered him and oh, okay. sent him all over. I'd have to double-check on, <laughs> double on Peter there. Shipped him off to sea! <laughs> but I think that was probably a good tra- transition into a couple of other military accounts in Germany because that's what I wanted to do for this this case because we kicked it off with Morbach, which is very much this legend, right? Mm-hmm. Like we said off the top. But there's more than one account. And I found a few different references in a book called I Know What I Saw, Modern Day Encounters with Monsters of New Urban. So this is written by Linda Godfrey, who we've mentioned oh, before. Nice. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. She's awesome. Author of many different books on different paranormal subjects. Specifically, she's really specializes in like dog men and werewolfery, uh, beast of Bray. Yep. I think she's from Wisconsin, actually. Oh, okay. Um, but she references multiple accounts from soldiers stationed in Germany, not at Han Air Base specifically, but fascinating nonetheless, and also relatively close by, with under under a hundred mm. miles. So this is the first one. So. Several miles northeast of where Han Air Base was stationed, there was another military installation called Falling in Fallingbostel. I actually don't have the name of the base. Uh, there was a, it was a British installation, though not a American one. So there was Royal Military Police that were stationed there. Royal Military Police for everybody. Like I didn't look too too much into this, but it's basically exactly what the name describes. Basically, people just stationed various places throughout the Cold War to just maintain peace and keep tabs on things going on. Not really like military hardcore personnel, but you're you're there. It's military police. You're just stationed there to impose your presence. Yeah, it's almost similar to me. Like when I would look at photos and stuff, it reminds me of kind of like UN soldiers oh, type yeah. vibe, something like along those lines. Just in case the Soviets decide something. Like yeah, that. right. And for this. This guy, this gentleman, I don't have a name. Uh, it wasn't listed in, in in the book reference, but apparently it was only his first week on the job at Fallingbostel. And his story was that he was sent to a medical reception station to visit one particular soldier, quote unquote. But uh, the visit, what the visit was about, I'm not exactly sure. But hmm. this is what he had to say. Several regiments, including my own, were in a specific area, but the medical reception was around 500 yards away via a footpath surrounded by wooded area on each side. Halfway to the medical center was a small WRVS, Women's Royal Voluntary Service, station. Having visited the soldier, I made my way back to the unit. 
The whole area was almost desolate, as the division was away on exercise, leaving myself and rear parties. As I approached the WRVS area, I noticed a dog in the undergrowth ahead of me. It looked like a German Shepherd. This gave me a little concern, as it was a high rabies area at the time. I stopped at first, then moved slowly towards the dog. There was no other way of avoiding it, as there was a mere 10 feet from the path and there was no other way to pass it. I stopped approximately 40 feet from the animal to assess the danger. I was confused about its appearance as the dog had a long snout of a German Shepherd but had incredibly long ears. It looked more like the dogs seen in Egyptian hieroglyphics. Its snout and ears were much longer than I had ever seen on a normal dog. Realizing there was no other route, I gingerly st started to walk slowly down the path, keeping it under observation. As I got to around 20 to 30 feet away from it, it stood up on its hind legs. It was around seven to eight feet in height. I had no chance to observe further as it started to walk towards me. Initially, I thought it was some sort of very thin bear as its body was dog-like, but there are no indigenous bears in that area of Germany. As I mentioned, it resembled ancient depictions of Anubis, but with a dog's hmm. body and not a human's. Its color was dark brown. From what I could see, a pretty persistent color too. Had it been a dog, it would have had a lighter underside, which it didn't. It sat directly watching me, and then stood in complete silence. It made no animal noises of any kind. I don't remember, it, I didn't recall at the time, any peculiarity with the eyes. Just appeared to be dark like a bear's eyes. I certainly didn't get close enough to smell it. I was running off, and he was laughing in this account. To be honest, I ran like hell back to the medical center. In fact, I didn't stop running as I was unsure whether it was following me. As I mentioned previously, there was no other easy way to get back to the garrisons and I eventually decided to take the long route back via the local town, a trip of around three miles. Several days later, still thinking I'd seen some sort of dog unknown to me, I mentioned my experience to a female German clerk and she casually said, oh, you must have seen a werewolf. You were lucky to escape. <laughs> the werewolf. <laughs> Interesting. Ooh. So what do you think of that? It's it's strikingly similar to the description of the Morbach yeah, monster. Yeah, definitely. It well within within reason, obviously, because like you know you get differentiating like you know like obviously estimates of size and height and whatever else. Like even the fence in the first couple, like that went from yeah. a seven to eight foot fence to a twelve foot fence. So if it was a seven to eight foot fence. Like, you know, if the creature itself is seven, eight feet, then maybe that makes more sense. Or I don't even know. Maybe yeah. it's half kangaroo, half I, dog. Well, hey, who knows, right? I mean, definitely I, that would be pretty terrifying. Yeah. That's for sure. So this guy literally, okay, so he was, he didn't even get back to the base. Because no. he was like, he was halfway to that medical center, like you mentioned. Yeah. And then he sees this thing and then he just turns around and peels out of there. <laughs> That's how it reads. Crazy. I mean, I wouldn't keep trekking along. I wonder, because obviously this is during the day, right? It didn't actually say a time. Well, if, if he's going to visit someone, it's obviously not going to be at night. Like, you well, know, I mean, it's it a could military. be in the evening, though. Yeah, it could I have wonder. been dusk or something. Who I'm knows, actually. I'm curious about the, uh, the actual yeah visibility of, of what was going on. That's a pretty scary story, though. And then just to have that like very cavalier confirmation, or not a confirmation, but just of the weirdness, right? By someone just saying, oh. That's got to be such a stark thing when someone just says something so matter-of-factly. 
what do you do with that? Like, you're like, what? So you're can like, I just okay. like, should I just never walk alone ever? Right. And obviously <laughs> you know? this confirms that the area is rich with this werewolf legend and lore when someone yeah. is going to say that to you. Mm-hmm. And obviously, very strangely, as we've been talking about in this episode, a lot of it involves military personnel. Mm-hmm. And I think that's simply in a lot of ways because of the places where these bases are stationed, right? Like they're not in the dead center of towns and cities. They're in sort of more outskirts, smaller areas, forests, in, wooded areas, things like this. In the pasture lands. In yeah. the pasture lands. Mm-hmm. So these are these are the places where historic references to werewolves come from too. You don't hear yeah. stories of werewolves in Berlin or mm-hmm. something like that. It's it's in it's out in the outskirts. Yeah. And so I think that's what also it gets chalked up to. It's like, oh, these are just it's just uneducated farm folk throughout history making up folklore mm-hmm. stories. You can take that however you want to, right? Yeah. And obviously just because of the Cold War itself and because of all the um, Americans stationed overseas, it, it does make sense that a lot of these accounts more recently are coming from those types of people, right? Because this is new to them. This is all like they're just learning and experiencing this for the first time. But we've already established a precedent of the locals experiencing this uh, decades and, and hundreds of years before. Exactly. So yeah. it's a it's a very yeah, established phenomenon, I'd say. And you, there's more accounts to corroborate yeah, that. Yeah, you had another one. So here, I have right? another German account to kind of add on to this Moorbach evidence, if you if you will, however you guys want to phrase it. So this was, again, from uh, another book written by Linda Godfrey. I'm actually trying to remember which one. I think it was Monsters Among Us, I believe, was another mm. another book she had written. Um, and when I saw that, I immediately thought of, um, shout out to Derek, Derek. Hayes yeah. uh, and Monsters Among Us podcast. Awesome, Derek. awesome show. We still haven't got him on our on the show. <laughs> we had stuff in a cryptid crate one time. We still have to connect with Derek. But anyway, we'll, we'll make that happen. Yeah, I really want to. But this was a reference that Linda had written about that was a a letter that was written to her from a soldier's wife that was only named S. So Mm. again... We're, we keep getting this right where people don't really want to be named. Let's call her Sandra. I'm, I'm surprised <laughs> though people don't just give like an alter ego, like an alias. You know, like well, why wouldn't you just give a full name? I guess. As an alias. True. I it's just know. so frustrating for us having to search ancestry. Like the J.E. Kincaid mm. from King. It's like, just is your name James or what is it, man? Make it up. I don't know. I give know. me something more to go. That on. was really frustrating. But anyway, so the soldier's wife, S, wrote to Linda Godfrey to just basically give her the story about troops that were stationed that year at a U.S. military garrison facility called the Hohenfels Training Area. So this was stationed in an area of Wolfseg, Germany. And the story essentially goes that this woman's husband and his comrades were camping out overnight. So obviously they were like on leave, right? They were camping overnight in a farm field nearby the training facility. And on one particular evening, they had chosen to bunk inside a M458 military track vehicle, something they just had to use at the time. But in the middle of the night, was awakened by a strange scratching around the vehicle's window. So this is what the wife wrote. Suddenly, a large canine head appeared in the window. It looked dog or wolf-like but had glowing red eyes. Hmm, Sound familiar? (laughs) The eyes frightened my husband the most, she said. It made bold eye contact for a couple of seconds, then disappeared from view. It would have had to have been six to seven feet tall standing on its hind legs to reach the window of the truck vehicle from the ground. So again, this is a massive creature. It's obviously stalking something. Is it looking to eat? Is it just curious? I don't know. Either way, it's kind of freaking me out. Yeah, (laughs) that's that's totally freaky, man. The next morning, my husband tried to tell himself that he must have been dreaming the whole thing, but he found tracks and paw prints all over the muddy ground outside of his vehicle. He told his fellow soldiers about this quote, spooky creature, but nobody knew what to make of it. The thought of a huge, possibly phantom wolf-like entity roaming a military training ground and the window peeping (laughs) uh, at slumbering soldiers does sound a bit fantastic, Godfrey goes on to say. (laughs) And she calls it a, quote, possibly phantom wolf. 
And the reason she calls it this, and I tend to agree with this from creatures we've talked about in the past, is the red eyes. Something that was lacking in the last account for whatever reason. Um, but this this red eye, it could be a condition of various different things. But to me, it sort of just screams demonic or evil or something along those lines. Yeah, definitely. Um, mm-hmm. But obviously, a lot of the, the people, the skeptics, again, that will mention these stories will just say, like, this is sort of just almost a, a carryover from fear of wolves throughout history in the area potentially but it's like these yeah. are u.s soldiers stationed why would they have they that? don't have that same in, in, imprinted history imprinted that's kind of funny yeah. i wonder if you ever took any photos or anything or got a mold or anything of those tracks I mean, if you're not i will say this in his defense you get that a lot right when you hear of like oh yeah they, they, they reported that they found like some sort of print or some sort of whatever but where's the mold and it's like come on who the hell carries plaster around with them wherever they go yeah <laughs> you know? and that's or the even same the camera. I know, like I, obviously these days we have phones I, so that's but a even story. that i can't stand that when i see that online and people being like we've got all these high quality cameras and phones how come nobody can snap a picture of bigfoot when they're uh, the ufo it's like man you, you know how hard it is to i i I don't know what my draw time on taking my phone out, opening my my camera app, making sure it's like not on video setting and taking the pictures like that's not mm-hmm. going to be there anymore. No, you can't even get a picture of a bird, much less like, you know, like no. something else like that. Picture of a bird. <laughs> <laughs> it's tough. <laughs> so again, that's that, that was the other German account I had. Godfrey goes on to kind of discuss a few different things that sort of tie into the Christianization that we mentioned earlier. Like there's a quote from a, uh, a, fif- a 1508 quote from a cleric about how there was like demons involved in the shape of a wolf, like a demon would appear in the shape of a wolf and that these wild men of the woods were, you know, lycanthropes, right? Which then goes way back into Greek mythology. We talked oh, about that. We talked right, about that yeah. in our Dogman episode where it was, I think the original story was there was a, a demigod or a king who wanted to test the will of the gods. So he started massacring babies and doing some really horrible things. So then he was cursed to become a half wolf monster. Yeah. And that's a lycanthrope. Okay. Um, yeah, a lycan. A lycan. Yeah, right. <laughs> so at the end of all this, we've given Morbach and then these two other cases. Like, what do we make of all this, right? Are these creatures the same beast potentially? Because a lot of people seem to think, oh, it's mm. the monster. There's one of them. Right. But okay. could there be, it de- it, and again, it I, depends on what your theory is. I Interdimensional, kinda, crypto, cryptid, whatever. Well, that's exactly what I was going to kind of speak to is like the idea, like Linda Godfrey's got her. It's almost like reminds me of like Black Shook or something yeah. like that, you know, like is this coming from another dimension, another world kind of thing? Is it coming from the underworld? Is this something that is a flesh and blood creature? Is yeah. If that's the case, then is it breeding? Does it have population? Is it a paranormal phenomenon where we're, we have the wolf strap, but we don't have the wolf strap anymore? Uh, something I didn't mention actually going back to the whole wolf strap stuff was uh, the idea that I think it was the same guy, that Barch guy. He was uh, going on to say in one of his one of his sources said that something about it was like a weird off mention about how like oh but we don't have werewolves around here anymore because the last wolf strap was banned or something and banished to Poland I think okay they said. so it was like they had just like pushed them past the border send all the bad stuff to Poland so apparently like, Poland. poor <laughs> Poles those so poor funny. Poles yeah that's not very nice <laughs> I know. I thought nice. that was interesting too, just to kind of speak to that. But yeah, if absolutely. we are, yeah, if it is like a paranormal phenomenon like that, then. You know what I will say, just to add a little extra woo-woo on top of all that, and I don't think I've ever done this before, even on three years of the first season of Into the Portal, the idea of like, we always separate, oh, flesh and blood cryptozoological phenomena, could this thing be like a breeding animal? That is, I am not going that way at all with this. No, me but neither. what about the concept of it being that, but from somewhere else? Oh, know so what I'm it's, saying? it's it is an entity like we've we, I guess we have kind of mentioned that before like it yeah. is a animal mm-hmm. but it isn't a 
animal from like Earth. our ent- our realm per mm-hmm. se. Yeah. Anyway, that's that's All a classic right. Andrew move there. I think that's not a great segue, but we can continue to go on with some of these sources uh, emailed to Dr. Ashleman. Well, yeah. And honestly, we already have touched on this, but I did want to kind of just talk about the military aspect uh, because that is interesting and the idea of remaining anonymous and emailing information to someone like a, a professor of folklore, right? Yeah, like a Dr. Yeah. Ashleman back in the 90s. Yes. This isn't the days of that we know now, right? Where there's huge, like, you know, like things explode on the internet. People, like, you know, on Reddit forums, on like, you know, yeah. like whatever. It's like, this was kind of like the, it was the internet era, obviously, because he's getting emails and he's, sure. he has his own website, but it's like, think of the 90s, guys. Like, this isn't, the world of like the world wide web that we know today it wasn't just for pure entertainment no. I mean, he was he, so you yeah. really have to dig and search for stuff that you are interested in and intrigued yeah. with and i'm not saying like obviously because these are anonymous sources there's no way to verify them right right so that's the frustrating part but again going back to the idea of the military if they were still active servicemen or they were stationed even here sorry not here because we're in canada but in america <laughs> like they're back home right? right but they're still servicemen they're still active then maybe they obviously need to protect themselves we've seen that so often yeah. right where it's only after they retire that anyone comes out and says anything pilots military personnel all kinds of yeah, astronauts exactly. all kinds of stuff yeah. yeah the pentagon cia yeah absolutely yeah <laughs> but again yeah i just i just thought like there's there's different ways that you can actually interpret this too and what if even like this is me kind of like being the sort of like pop in the balloon kind of thing or oh, whatever sure. but just the idea that could this could this just have been not dreamed up by because obviously we have a lot of historic precedent and things like that but like something for the Morbach locals who after this airbase was taken away from them you know what I mean? Like, it's almost like it becomes like a little bit of like... Like a tourism story kind of thing? Well, that's kind of what I'm trying to say. Yeah, is the idea that you see this all over in roadside America, right? Like, you know, just yeah. like whatever, these like little towns with nothing going on. And yeah. then there's like the roadside attraction that they're trying to like bring people in and whatever. And they have their own local No, I legend. get that. I could see that being... So I, I just wanted to bring that up because like we did talk about the economic disruptions and hardship that occurred after the disbanding of the base. Yeah. So I'm thinking like, well, could this be some crafty locals attempting to bring some tourism so then that's the thing it's like i mean we i was lighting this candle too that's my other that's a good question you know who we should reach out to actually i should have before this is travis dow who speaks german and has some connections over there maybe he's got a reference to this because like what even what you're saying there it's like i i think that's possible Mm -hmm. but then if that's true that means that the locals know about the story and mm-hmm. there's a lot of these skeptics and 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 people refuting mm. the Marbach monster, saying nobody in Germany knows about this. Right. This is literally okay. just a total folklore tale made up by a couple of U.S. personnel, and it's brought back to the U.S. and it's all over English blogs. Mm-hmm. Um, even though we did find some German translated stuff referencing it as well. Mm-hmm. So I think there could be a there's somewhere halfway between. I just wanted to mention that quickly. Just it's worth mentioning for know. sure. Mm-hmm. I think. Well, again, I, I, I am not doing my best with segues here in uh, in today's episode, but that's okay because I'm actually going back in time. I like this, though, because, yeah, we ta- we started with the more modern sort of stuff, Cold War era. We're going back now to World War One. Yes. Okay. And, you know, not, not in Germany, but associated with the Germans and Germany in general. Well, it's just across the border there in France. Very so close. Yeah. Very, very close. Germany, right? Belgium, France. Yeah, we're all right in that neck of the woods. And so this is a, this is a tale from World War One. And Oh, sorry, Belgium. Yeah, yeah it's all right there. <laughs> but the point, of, I really wanted to bring this up because it's another horrifying monster case 
that is slightly different than the Morbok monster, but I had this feeling that maybe there was an inkling of a connection here. So I wanted to talk about the Hound of Mons. All right. Pretty spooky. So they're like wolf dog like creature. So yeah. Okay. So this German connection here to the culture and the concept of werewolves and wolf entities in general, in my opinion, but whether bipedal or simply some sort of massive like black shook like entity that you've mentioned, we can decide that as we go. But this story comes from an account, an alleged account by a Canadian veteran from the Battle of Mons stationed there named F.J. Newhouse. Here we go again with the initials as the first name. <laughs> Struggled to find F.J. Uh, on Ancestry or other things. That could be anything. It could be Fred James. It right? Could be... So it's tough. <laughs> but, okay. These events take place in the Belgian city of Mons. So famous for the epic standoff of the vastly outnumbered British against German forces. This was the the epitome of World War One: Trench warfare, machine guns. Horrible. Nasty, nasty stuff. Uh, and it was here where a group of British... British soldiers actually managed to hold back like way more troops for a two-week period before being forced to retreat themselves. And Canadians were stationed there as well. So this alleged character Newhouse, after the fact, relays this terrifying story that begins with these just unexplainable events regarding a Captain Yesks and four of his men of the the London Fusiliers. It's like a division, I guess, or a a group. Mm -hmm. A classic story of war, basically. Five men go out, caught in no man's land, never to return. Of course, we know from history books and representations like, you know, that this was an absolutely like the worst place to be caught, no man's land. That's the reason that it's called that. And like so many before, they never returned. So they go out and do body recoveries the next day. But when they were found, they allegedly did not have any bullet wounds. They had not succumbed to the typical violences of war that you would expect. But when they were discovered, rather, they had been ripped apart their throats specifically torn out by some kind of animal. And they were riddled with bite and puncture marks, according to Newhouse. So I'll just let that sink in for a sec. No bullet wounds. Clearly some sort of animal had done this. Very strange. So obviously people that find this are going to be freaked out. But the legend continues to get even more strange. Because several days later, the fighting's continuing, and British soldiers in the trenches, they claim to hear these shrieking howls coming from no man's land. It sounded something like between a wolf and a human. I mean, sound familiar? And other areas at night were basically places they couldn't see. It's almost like some sort of entity was just stalking the dark and the mist where they it couldn't be seen, but it was terrorizing everyone around it. And according to some accounts, again, not peer-reviewed sources, uh, what they heard sounded was something like, yeah, like between a man and a wolf and it was on both sides. So it was something clearly attacking German soldiers as well, which is hmm. pretty scary <laughs> oh that's interesting okay so it wasn't just one side being attacked yeah at that, least that plays into some a theory later it on. does mm-hmm. so more patrols were sent out in the following days uh in the areas of no man's land only to find bodies of their friends mauled and mutilated so the same sort of thing right but it wasn't just these howls and these bizarre corpses in this legend or story being found but there was also sightings taking place so this is where it connects to Morbach and some of these other things because people actually saw something strange. So for two years, this quote, mysterious hound-like beast was supposedly prowling the battlefields of Mons. And the soldiers were hearing these howling, shrieking calls. They continued throughout the darkness, but were now being accompanied with reports from these patrolling soldiers of actually spotting a massive gray wolf-like creature that was, I mean, essentially for all intents and purposes, stalking the soldiers, whether or not this you could call it a feasting ground whatever this entity is it's looking for something to eat clearly or it's just a demonic monster of some kind 
So this creature was intentionally stalking these areas, either to outright attack or to consume the corpses. My question is, how the hell did it not get shot if this was a thing that was there? Oh, yeah, it kind of goes back to Godfrey's theory. It's just like a phantasmal black shook style right yeah and again i'm just relaying the legends here i'm just saying i'm just saying this is a this is a story so we can speculate however we want the screams would continue throughout the nights in the days passing and some of them like i just said were seen to be coming from both sides so the german soldiers were also clearly being stalked and attacked by this creature so like amber was sort of alluding to this dispels some sort of early uh talk about how this might have been some kind of german directive against the allies yeah although the official explanation is sort of related to this in the end because it's associated with german shepherds feral german shepherds Mm. (laughs) but This story was first published 1919 in an edition of the Ada Evening News from Oklahoma, so an Oklahoma-based newspaper, which I found was a bit of a head-scratcher because this is a Canadian, so unless he married an American woman or something. or Who knows? Like, war does a lot of things. You can end up wherever. You can end up wherever. Who knows? But this was soon picked up by other publications, and like we said off the top, the original story is supposedly from this guy, F.J. Newhouse. We did a little bit of looking into that. I don't know if you wanted to speak to that. Yeah, you know, I tried to dive into that on Ancestry, and it was nigh impossible to (laughs) confirm his identity because of... Is very strange, uh, like, you know. If anyone has any tips on that, like, dealing with initialed names on Ancestry, like, I would love to hear from you because those are really frustrating. There was there was none that I could find that even closely matched up as far as dates of anything. So I was kind of just like, all right, is he a real person? Is he not? Maybe it was, again, right, like a pen name could have yeah. easily been that. But sure. again, this is where it takes a bit of a turn. Oh, a bit of a turn. Bit of a turn. That's an understatement. Because in this article, Newhouse actually claimed that he had done his own research and had come up with his own explanation for this creature that had been attacking both sides, I'll say. So again, that doesn't really help his argument, but he claimed to have found documents that related this like secret military experiment that was held by the Germans and they were trying to create some sort of bioweapon, like a (laughs) human hybrid soldier type thing, which we again have talked about quite a bit. Like the Russians and the ape men. Yes. Stalin's ape man. Totally what I was thinking of there. Yeah, exactly. So Newhouse had um, said, supposedly, that he had found documents. I don't know where the hell he found these. But um, if he's a Canadian and he's like in war and then he's he's, over in the U.S. He's he's doing some, he's a a genealogist. He's a, a, you know, he's doing some research and stuff. Who knows? Perhaps, perhaps. But he had found these documents uh, referencing a one Mr. Or sorry, I should say Dr. Gottlieb Hockmüller. He was a German who had supposedly undertaken a bunch of experiments intended to insert the mind or brain of a deranged maniac into that of a hound. Yes. So this was actually a direct quote from Historic Mysteries. And it says here, Gottlieb, quote, roamed from one asylum to another and eventually found a man who had gone mad in his hatred for England. He then extracted the brain out of the madman with the consent of the German government and inserted it into the skull of a Siberian wolfhound, unquote. Could you just imagine that? Okay, wait a second. My first bone I got to pick with that is the idea that (laughs) this individual that he chose uh, had a hatred for England, yet he was killing the English and the Germans. Well, I think it might have gone a little haywire on them. I don't (laughs) think their plan, if just 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 to build off the story here, I think it maybe backfired a little. Probably, (laughs) but exactly that. Newhouse said um, as much as this in his own words from that 1919 article that you referenced there, and uh, he claimed to have had like secret papers that had been released from Hockmuller's house. So those papers were never uncovered by anyone else. Yes. So I don't know what happened, but we couldn't find a doc- 
Dr. Gottlieb Hockmüller. I could not find a Dr. Gottlieb Hockmüller. I did find a doctor, Hock space Mueller. Oh, yeah. Uh, from the same time frame, mm-hmm. but doesn't appear to be associated with the, with the German Germans in the First World War. And also just, yes, it's it's a bit of a long shot. Okay. <laughs> it's a long shot. Yeah. That's that's what I was expecting. And, 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 yeah, okay, sorry, continue. I just wanted to say this first here. So this is interesting because Newhouse actually went on to say that he, I guess these documents he has found were part of these riots that were occurring in Berlin. And I guess this Dr. Gottlieb had recently perished. And so somehow these were uncovered and brought to the surface or something like that. He doesn't mm-hmm. say he was there. He doesn't say where he got them from. Like, was it a local source from his family or whatever? I don't even sure. know. But I thought, I, I have a few alternative ideas on this whole Hound of Mons. And it's interesting because I'm pretty sure this is the same battlefield where we had the angels appear and... and help some soldiers as well like there was a lot of different stories around that time i don't know if you remember that the angels of mons or something yeah that came yeah totally mm-hmm. so people were definitely seeing more so they were than... seeing all sorts of weird stuff but i kind of thought about this a little bit and i was looking up like there were extensive use of dogs in world war one yeah and absolutely. a lot of them were messenger dogs a lot of them were fortunately uh, in the line of fire and I'm, I'm wondering if perhaps some people got a little bit carried away with uh making their dogs more weapons you know what i mean and perhaps just unleashing them onto the battlefield and just hoping that they can do some damage or that's uh, that is a possibility mm-hmm. did you want me to read I, I just want to read the second half of this oh, quote yeah. here from newhouse because it just reads it's just it's just so I fascinating really like and strange he basically says quote the death of dr gottlieb hockmuller and the recent spartacan riots in berlin has brought to light facts concerning the fiendish application of this german scientist's skill that have astounded europe for the hound of mons was not an accident a phantom or a hallucination it was the deliberate result of one of the strangest and most repulsive scientific experiments the world has ever known mm. <laughs> so a little bit cray cray woo woo crazy <laughs> it's but, like uh, it reminds me of that 80s scientist the mad scientist what was that called again oh <sighs> reanimator yeah re- oh love that movie you gotta rewatch it at the same time though like this is the essentially first you know first few decades of the turn of the century i would not be putting it past scientists to be trying this yeah. not that it would work but they were experimenting I'm, I'm, I'm telling you they were they were swapping brains around willy-nilly they were doing all kinds of stuff vivisection was quite recent as well it was like the, absolutely the second half of the 1800s and even earlier than that maybe they were dr moreau in all kinds of things and 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 then there's also experiments with gases and things like that so i'm thinking maybe the gases could have been producing hallucinations in people and then all sorts of extreme circumstances as well kind of play into that Uh, how much sleep you've had how much food you've had of course so at the at the end of the day here though so we've got this hound of mons story these other werewolf stories clearly this hound of mons is not a werewolf story it's a it's a it's a hellhound story essentially it's a it's a it's a monstrous wolf beast story it's very much like the black shook actually and this the well newhouse's interpretation reminded me a lot of uh the chupacabra the idea of government experiment creates something and then it goes terribly wrong and is like not helpful at all um (laughs) but i'm not buying that obviously (laughs) what was the quote the gold bloom quote it's like they they oh. only asked if they could. They never asked if they should. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and clearly in this instance, if uh, if if this story was true, that would be the case. I think obviously the the most likely explanation for this particular one is the idea that 
there were a lot of feral dogs. Not necessarily ones yeah. that were directed as soldiers, but ones that just didn't have anywhere to go. Feral. And they were eating bodies because they had nothing else to eat. And there Perhaps could have been rabid. potentially that as well. So you've got these traumatized trench warfare soldiers seeing a potentially jet black dog because it's covered in mud and filth eating or gray or whatever, right? Yeah. Eating a body of their comrades of their of their friends and th- mm-hmm. i could see that getting generated in, into the legend but yeah. then at the same time this is the same thing we talked about with the black shook episode and there's the episodes in general with hauntings and stuff it's like there's literally no better place for suffering death and destruction for something like that to arrive to show up Mm-hmm. to be feeding off of that energy death. it's like the whole yeah. thing where it's like when something like you know whatever like demonic possession or something's following you it feeds off of you like it does that and i feel like these types of environments we've seen it over and over and over again like houses where there's massive murders whatever it's similar to that mm-hmm. and i think that the, that's that would be the explanation for me on the paranormal side you we can't say the same about the morbach and those other ones because it wasn't like wartime it wasn't trench warfare no. it wasn't going on it was still maybe high stress cold war obviously like you don't know if the world's gonna blow up True. but it's not exactly the same and but, you're not at home right you're in a distant land yeah. you know it could look similar to a certain degree right. but obviously you're dealing with a whole different set of environmental circumstances so exactly the correlation yeah. of course is the fact that we're dealing with canine enigmas bipedal and not mm-hmm. we didn't even get unexplained the, unexplained so are they associated are they related potentially world war one Fan- phantasmal demon dog cold war and well world war ii belief in it as well and like the mythology and occult going in naming a paramilitary group werewolves and then continuing on into the cold war there's lots of connections here mm-hmm. yeah and i'm sort of buying that there might be something real in germany but uh we got to get down to our theories here on morbach and stuff as well all right well you want to head down that road all right so we've got experiments well, kind of already talked about playing off the Hound of Mons. I'm not really buying that. Do you have anything mm. to say on that? I think it's very <laughs> far-fetched. It reminded me, like, <laughs> yeah, and it reminded me of Chupacabra. You know what else it reminded me of? A Monster Quest episode we talked about in the Dogman series, and they had, uh, you know, a wolf specialist on there, and she, you know, it's just like the classic scientific thing where it's like, werewolves are biologically impossible because you can't breed a wolf and a human. It's like, yeah, lady, thanks. Like, no one's saying that. No one's saying that. What these things are are entities that resemble creatures that we know. Our mind goes to wolf plus human or wolf plus whatever or massive whatever. But these things actually could be something completely different altogether, not understood. We just push them into these categories of what we know. Mm -hmm. Um, So I thought that was just, it's just the classic boxed in epistemology of a scientist. It's like, get out of here. You know what this reminds me of now? It just reminds me of, um, oh my gosh, what's it called? That, uh, not under the sea. What was that? Um, Voyage to the Bottom of the 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 Sea. sea. And then they would always come across these random races of people that are just like, what was the one where they were living at the bottom of the ocean Yeah, it was like the crab peoples or something. The wolf peoples, like, you know, like the dog people. Like, I don't know. It could definitely be something along those lines. (laughs) It could be. The next theory we have here, which is Andrew's favorite. Yes, I just referred to myself in the third person is interdimensional entities where are you <laughs> of course. well i mean there's it, there's it's not a breeding population of werewolves so these things are showing up i mean the fact that it's military bases is interesting because normally you'd think of that it's like okay there's ufos over nuclear facilities that makes sense they're monitoring something werewolf entities showing up at multiple military garrisons and facilities that's a bit of a head scratcher yet seems... it seems to happen over and over and over 
good. The one thing I did have to sort of tie into this notion of being interdimensional creatures of some kind is the there's this really strange place in the UK, again, we're moving away from Germany, called Canic Chase. And so many different paranormal sightings there. It's actually potentially one of the the origin story place for uh, sightings of black-eyed children. Hmm. But there was a case that I found that apparently there's a cemetery in in the area where there's Allied soldiers as well as German soldiers buried there who died in prisoners prison of war camps. And there's also werewolf sightings that happened specifically in this cemetery, which is weird. It's okay. like, is there a cultural association just from like the history of the German people and something? And then it's the, clearly something's having to do with apparitions or like death or, and something happening there in the cemetery. Or perhaps there is a wolf man buried in there and they didn't draw and quarter them like they did with Peter Stubb. So he's coming back to life. There you he's, go. He's just stalking <laughs> the woods in the cemetery. Or, or <laughs> is it a ghost? Are, are these are these apparitions? I, yeah, exactly. Are people seeing apparitions? The are, whole echoes through time, perhaps. But that's that's kind of an interesting concept. It's like the monster of Partridge Creek type thing, except in that it's like, okay, dinosaurs were a thing. We don't know if bipedal werewolf-like entities were. We can speculate on it. Herodotus talked about sinocephaly and stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. which you take with a huge grain of salt. But I just thought this was really interesting for the interdimensional angle of it, the canic chase, because quite honestly, because of the association with black-eyed children. And that's something we're going to cover on Patreon. Mm, if you guys yeah. aren't familiar with that case, it's terrifying and go listen to Astonishing Legends, whoever's covered it so far already. Um, mm-hmm. But it's the idea that these things, these children of these entities could be coming from somewhere else. And if there's also sightings of werewolves in the same similar area, yeah. well, this seems to be kind of like a skinwalker ranchy type of situation oh, or something. Yeah. It's like, well, or just filled with all sorts of uh, demonic type entities or dark entities that are taking their shapeshifters, perhaps. You know right. what I mean? Like, And it's like clearly that like, there's, there's certain points that are gateways yeah. and that's where people cool. see them. I can't wait to get into the black eyed kids. Yeah. And, and I guess the last thing I would have to say on that note, just to, just to kind of get everyone really scratching their head. You know, Nick Redfern, we've referenced him a million times, paranormal researcher and author written for Mysterious Universe and other things. He's on uh, Paul Bestel's show, mm-hmm. Mysteries and Monsters, who's in our network, Straight Up Strange. But he's written about these werewolves and entities at military bases. He thinks that there is this direct connection of some of some kind. And I thought that was really interesting because there's more than just Europe. There's the Middle East American soldiers talk right. about werewolves stalking the re- remote mountain ranges of Afghanistan and Iraq. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, lots of other... Cases from India too. Cases from India, yeah. yeah. Indian soldiers encountering mm-hmm. strange creatures as well. Like we could have gone so much deeper with this, but we want to cover more things. Whoa. Whoa. I didn't even go there. Well, we might even get there. Well, hey, we will get there, but for some other entities true all right well stay tuned (laughs) exactly but uh could they be for reconnaissance i guess was the last thing i was going to say if they're interdimensional and they're showing up and they're gandering at military bases i mean what are you doing oh peeking through the fences yeah who are you working for (laughs) (laughs) at the end of the day i believe in werewolves in the sense that i believe people see something i haven't seen one myself but seen is believing and There's, yeah not a lot of dogs out there that can jump a 12 foot or even an eight foot fence, or so. stand to Actually, seven you know or eight feet tall i will take that back i think i've seen uh, police dogs like police german shepherds scale like seven foot fences scale and outright jump over off two legs true is thing. that's a much different thing that's almost like a what's it called that leaping jack guy Oh, yeah, like, oh, yeah, spring, 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 springy, springy Jack, not yeah. stingy, <laughs> stingy. The there spring is stingy heels. Jack too, though. Remember? Oh, yes. He from was the lantern Halloween. guy. Yeah. This is just like the reference old episodes episode here. I've just been doing a bunch of, bunch of that. Oh, anyway, yeah. It's so just nice ones. to be back, you guys. I think that's why. I think so. Yeah. And we're just so pumped. Like, and even tonight, oh my gosh, I'm so excited to watch more of that Elisa Lamb documentary. What was it called again? Crime scene. Um, The vanishing at the Cecil Hotel. That's what it's called. Yeah. Yep. It's so good. And I'm just. 
I, I'm a little bit like kind of in shock a little bit that we were featured. I, I and again, I we I don't still don't even dumb. know what we say. We gotta, we gotta <laughs> yeah. watch. Hit us up when you guys listen to that, like just to let us know. We'd, appre- yeah. we'd appreciate that. And let us know what you think about these cases. Do yeah. you believe in werewolves or at least some sort of apparitions and these entities showing up? Or is this all just pure fabrication and folklore? Or if you're a part of the military and you have your own story about something maybe related to this or maybe something kind of like its own thing altogether we'd Mm -hmm. love to hear from you absolutely and even if you can shed more light on what life is like overseas being in a military base like that would be really awesome to hear about too like i I just i want to know more about the culture i want to because for us it's so foreign right so we're just like we're really just trying to piece these pieces together and yeah i don't know if anyone has anything to share it's it's all one big conversation so hit us up anywhere you want to too so at into the portal podcast on facebook at into the portal podcast on instagram send us a dm come follow us on there you can always email us too like we love getting just you know private emails from people into the portal mailbox at gmail.com if you have episode ideas for season two or suggestions or anything you want to comment on on the show we would love to get an email from you you can sign up for an email list on our website too i think we're going to try to do some more cool stuff with some of our uh, our emails uh, this year and into the portal and there's just like so much cool stuff coming so we're really really excited and don't forget to follow the network too at strange pods and straightupstrange.com if you guys haven't checked that out already and i think that's pretty much it werewolves exactly. are real what do you have to werewolves th- are real <laughs> and we want to hear from you of course we'd like to thank our producers and all of our patreon supporters yes adam and, and stanley our producers yeah, adam and stanley our producers and all of our listeners thank you so much for joining us for this very first episode of season two of into the portal we have so much more to bring to you guys and we're just really excited to be here absolutely well we'll see you guys next time on into the portal your gateway to the bizarre Discover more shows like this one at straightupstrange.com.